Good day, everyone. It's me, Michael Anthony Giudicisi, and welcome to All Things Billy, where we talk about all things William H. Bonney, Billy the Kid, Kid Antrim, Henry McCarty, um, I don't know, <laughs> whatever other names uh, he went by. And uh, this is the COVID edition because <laughs> I just tested positive for COVID. So I figured I'd get this one done just in case I lost my voice, although so far the symptoms are pretty mild. So uh, hopefully we'll forge through this in a few days and get back to work. So um, lots of good activity in the comments section, always on the uh, on the YouTube uh, version of the podcast. And someone had asked, reached out and said, hey, Michael, could you do an episode on Tom O'Folliard or Tom Folliard? And I guess we'll get into that. Um, and of course, the answer is sure we can. Why, why not? Tom's a, a colorful character that took part in some historic uh, uh, Lincoln County War battles, as well as, uh, you know, be kind of uh, served as Billy's faithful friend right up until his end. And uh, I discovered a few interesting um, thought-provoking things uh, during my research. So uh, we're going to talk about those today, too, in our regulator Billy's Pals uh, series. And we did also do an episode on Charlie Bowdry. So uh, this would complete the cemetery uh, of uh, the uh, old, old Post Cemetery of Fort Sumner. We've talked about Billy, we've talked about Charlie, and now we'll talk about Bigfoot, Tom O'Folliard. Thomas O. Folliard Jr. <laughs> all right, so uh, we're going to get to all of that right after these words. All right, the big tall man with the big feet that was inexorably tied to Billy the Kid. And no, we're not talking about Pat Garrett. We're talking about Bigfoot Tom O'Folliard. And yeah, you wonder, uh, Tom was said to stand over six feet tall, just like Garrett. I think Garrett was six foot three or four. And uh, Folliard was certainly younger, although uh, portrayals of him and uh, where you would find information that he was kind of the younger, faithful uh, companion of Billy the Kid don't seem to be true. Uh, seems like uh, Tom was most likely at the same age, but most likely older than Billy. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes. But you got to wonder if it came down to a fist fight, Garrett against Tom, who would win in the battle of these heavyweights? Now, now Garrett was a pretty slim guy. Folliard was known as a kind of a big, rough guy later, you know, in his life as as late as his life got. Um, would be interesting. Of course, those two guys did square off, not with fists, but with guns. And the result, well, I'm sure you all know it, but we'll get to that later. So let's get to the uh, forensic details. Tom O'Folliard, born 1858, birth date undetermined in Uvalde, Texas. Now that's the uh, that's the town right now that we're you know holding in our hearts and has obviously this horrific black cloud over it. But that's where uh, Tom was from. And interestingly enough, uh, Pat Garrett later in life, uh, let's see, I'll even tell you the years, 1891 through 1900, so about 10 years after the incident in, uh, in Fort Sumner, uh, Pat Garrett lived in Uvalde, Texas. And there is actually a marker in the city uh, on the site it looks like an empty lot now. It might even be a park, uh, but um, where Pat Garrett's house was, he owned property there for nine years. Uh, let's see, 994 West Main Street, Uvalde, Texas. That's the nearest address to where the uh, Garrett historical marker is. I don't think that there's any marker for poor Tom O'Folliard, but... Uh, I don't know. Maybe there should be. In any event, he's born in 1958 in Uvalde, Texas. In May of 1878, uh, oh, yeah, before that, actually, we want to go back. Um, uh, Tom's parents uh, take him to Texas 
Um, I had that date in front of me, but I've lost it now. And both of his parents die there. He uh, comes back to the United States. But uh, Tom winds up uh, making his way in 1878. So at 20 years of age, uh, during the uh, the height of the Lincoln County War, he t comes with James Woodland, who's a friend of his, and they travel to Lincoln County, New Mexico, late in May. So remember, uh, Tunstall is killed February 18th. Um, the uh, Blackwater Draw Massacre happens uh, days uh, later in March, April 1, Brady's killed. So in May, and this in May would be uh, when Frank McNabb was killed, if I remember correctly, second captain of the Regulators, Dick Brewer's already dead. So the war is going on pretty good. And James Woodland and Thomas Folliard make their way to Lincoln County. Why? I don't know. But when they do, they begin rustling cattle from James J. Dolan and company. Now, it may have been an opportunistic type of thing to say, hey, you know what? This guy's embroiled in this war. We've heard about it. These guys are fighting like cats and dogs and killing each other. He doesn't have time to look after his cattle. Could be an easy mark. I mean, you're right, riding right into a war. It would seem to me Again, I'm I'm not an <laughs> I'm not an outlaw or a cattle thief, but it would seem to me that you might go somewhere where there's not as much attention, not as much focus, not as much shooting and fighting, um, unless you're just really into fighting and stealing and killing. But I think you could find some places in New Mexico and throughout the Southwest where you could go steal cattle, and there was not a uh, an active, you know, range war going on. But for whatever reason, Tom and his buddy James Woodland begin rustling cattle from James J. Dolan. Uh, that obviously puts uh, Folliard at odds with Dolan. And in early June, some point, 1878, uh, Tom goes to San Patricio and winds up joining the regulators. Uh, Woodland, James Woodland, did not. And uh, there's not much of a record of what happened to him after that. Maybe he rode back for Texas or somewhere else. But uh, Tom's left there, and uh, he befriends Billy the Kid. Now, the, the legend says that Billy taught Tom how to shoot well with a rifle and pistol, which could be true. But Tom is older than Billy. If a Folliard's 19 or 20 years old at this time, of the Lincoln County War, at best, Billy's 18. But again, based on some new uh, evidence and research, he could be as young as 16. Now, that doesn't mean that he can't uh, <laughs> teach somebody anything. It doesn't mean that, you know, uh, a Folliard would naturally assume the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the upper hand in the relationship. I mean, Billy was known as uh, kind of a leader of men. So even at 16, 17, 18 years old, sure, he could uh, welcome Folliard in and, uh, and, and teach him how to shoot. But I'm imagining if Tom is here rustling cattle in Lincoln County during the height of the Lincoln County War, he probably already knows how to shoot. Billy may have helped him shoot better. I don't know. But I, I, he didn't, I don't think Folliard came up as some, uh, some uh, greenhorn. You know, that didn't know which end of the rifle to uh, put against his shoulder or anything like that. He would have uh, had to have enough experience with firearms to, to be able to protect himself if he's going to go out and steal Jimmy Dolan's cattle, which it appears he did. So uh, by that very act, Tom winds up, uh, he, you know, he, he self-selects into the regulator's side of the war. There weren't really any cattle... For John Tunstall, the sheriff had attached them, so it's not like he could, uh, you know, steal Tunstall's cattle, but it, he could have if they were still out there, if Tunstall was alive for some reason. And in that case, Folliard might have wound up on the other side, might have wound up fighting for Dolan and could have befriended, you know, Timmy uh, Tupperware, <laughs> I mean, whoever, some some Dolan guy. So it was this matter of happenstance that they went after Dolan's cattle, probably sensing some weakness in his ability to uh, police his herd that uh, he winds up with the regulators.
uh, Tom becomes best. Legend says they become he becomes best friends with the kids, and certainly from that point until the day that Tom dies, he and Billy are friends and uh, essentially un- inseparable. I'm sure they spent days uh, away from each other, but but Tom is a loyal companion during that time. Uh, Folliard is in the burning McSween house during the five day battle. And so he is at uh, ground zero of the finality of the Lincoln County War. And he's there with his buddy, Billy the Kid. Uh, If you remember uh, the uh, forces that Doc Skurlock brought in, they had almost 60 men to to fight it out in Lincoln, which was more than Dolan could mount before the cavalry showed up. But but, uh, Skurlock divides his forces into three separate groups. And it doesn't take a, a genius to say, hey, Follier and Billy are friends. They're going together. It's not like Billy's going to go, oh, you know what? You go stay at that other place and uh, and I'm going over to the McSween house. I mean, you could see two young guys that are friends and, uh, you know, close to each other going, yeah, yeah, come on, let's go. Let's, let's fight this thing out together. And so uh, Tom is in the McSween house during that uh, final battle and when the house uh, burns and the men are burned out. Uh, He's with uh, Billy and the rest that are able to escape. Not all of them escaped, uh, of course. There's the possibility that a Folliard is shot during his escape in the left shoulder. Uh, There is no documentation of that. I see that in some of the research, but, but there's no documented, you know, where somebody says, yeah, Tom got out, but, you know, we had to take him to, I don't know, Reverend Ely's or whatever to have him patched up because he got shot in the left shoulder. So somebody had mentioned it at some point, there's a possibility, but nevertheless, he made it out and he recovered well enough to, you know, continue his, his friendship with Billy and his life of crime with Billy too. Um, Also, uh, uh, been reported that Folliard tried to go back and help Harvey Morris. And and Morris was a uh, law student uh, that was reading law under McSween. And he just happened to be caught in the house when this whole thing took place and he was shot and killed. And so uh, Folliard, you know, showed a little bravery there, maybe took a bullet, maybe tried to save somebody else from taking a bullet, but uh, to no avail there. And to me, if you think about, I wasn't in the house. Adobe houses have to burn really slow because it's, you know, mostly mud. Uh, But with that said, it's got to be just kind of a hellish thing to know we're going to be burned alive unless we get out of here. And if we step outside, there are, you know, numerous uh, men with guns, including a Gatling gun, that are going to try to kill us. That's a pretty no-win situation. I think, to me, and I'm the only person I can (laughs) speak for, if I got out of that, if I actually made it out of there alive, got to San Patricio or wherever the regulators went that night, I think I would say, you know what? I've had enough. I came here to steal cattle. You know, Dolan had his guys on me. I joined with the regulators. I got a good friend in Billy, but you know what? That's enough. Uh, Too many close calls in too short of a period of time. And uh, I think I can, I got a grandmother back in Texas. I'm going to go make a life for myself there. But I'm not a 20 year old uh, guy anymore. And it's, you know, difficult to remember exactly what you felt at 20 years old, probably invincible and, and um, also, you know, difficult to, uh, you know, predict what you would do under those circumstances if you were never in them. But Tom you know, clearly decided that his wagon was hitched to Billy's star and he was going to continue with it. All right. So uh, the, if you look on Wikipedia, Thomas, Tom's father's name was, was Thomas O, O period, as an initial Thomas O Folliard Sr., like Orville or, uh, uh, Oscar or, you know, whatever it might be. And in fact, if you look at Tom's name, as it's listed here, it's Thomas O period Folliard Jr. 
if his father was foliard, not O'Folliard, then Tom couldn't be O'Folliard. Now, it makes no difference to me, but some of you out there are going to gnash your teeth over this and somebody's going to write me a nasty message or email saying, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I don't care what his name was. I couldn't care less. But if you do, then just know that there's a uh, discrepancy there. I was told by David Thomas, uh, who is an author and researcher that I highly respect, that uh, Gail Cooper had definitively put the Folliard thing to rest and that it was actually O. Folliard. But I don't know anything about that. I haven't read any of Gail Cooper's books. So um, if you know about that, shoot me some thing in the comments and we can uh, we can talk a little bit more about it. Sound good? Good. Um, the other thing is that uh, Tom was obviously with Billy during the times um, that he, after the war when Billy was still stealing cattle uh, and uh, he was uh, very likely there when there was attempted to be a peace parlay with Dolan and Jesse Evans and Lincoln that ultimately led to Billy reaching out to the governor. Now, the governor said to Billy, if you remember that letter, you know, take the trail south of town or something like that uh, and come alone. Uh, if you can trust Jesse Evans, you can trust me. Don't tell a soul. I kind of think Billy wouldn't come alone, especially to Lincoln. I think he would have brought his some of his buddies with him and maybe one of those buddies, likely one of those buddies would be Thomas O. Folliard. But... Uh, before we go on in uh, Tom's life, let's uh, talk about him in film. I had no idea. I I know that he was uh, portrayed in Young Guns 2. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen all of Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. I've seen it in pieces. But but uh, O'Folliard, I'm going to call him that because that's what he's named as a character, was portrayed in a number of Billy the Kid films. Starting in 1942, Apache Trail portrayed by William Lundigan, 1954 film, The Law versus Billy the Kid, O'Folliard's played by George Berkeley, 1958, Left-Handed Gun with uh, Paul Newman, it's James Best as Tom O'Folliard. Christopher Mitchum portrays Tom in Chisholm, which is the John Wayne movie, um, and uh, they, you know, that some of the history there is a little messed up. O'Folliard serves as a witness, but not an accomplice to Billy's murder of Tunstall's killers and doesn't join Billy until the final act, blah, 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 blah. So um, doesn't really follow the narrative uh, accurately, but, you know, who cares? Uh, O'Folliard appears in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid 1973 movie. That's the Sam Peckinpah movie with Chris Christopherson. And, oh gosh, I can't remember now, son of a gun. Uh, Rudy Wurlitzer. Uh, but in this film, a Folliard is uh, depicted as a middle-aged man. And he certainly never reached middle-aged. Young Guns 2, Balthazar Getty is shown as a 14-year-old tenderfoot from Pennsylvania. The Prince of Pennsylvania, that's what Billy called him, remember that? And he, you know, he could barely even talk. He had kind of a stutter and he was not very confident. And Beaver Smith, you know, wanted to kick him for eating out of his ash cans and that kind of stuff. And that's not a, a you know, Pennsylvania. There's no history for Tom O'Folliard going back to Pennsylvania. So uh, it's a writer's thing. And I, I always wonder like what, what the point is of changing something so dramatically. If you're uh, making Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, Sam Peckinpah, and you get a middle-aged guy to portray a Folliard, why do you do that? There's got to be a reason. It's not just laziness. And if you're making Young Guns 2, why do you get a 14-year-old Balthazar Getty or, you know, he portraying a 14-year-old from Pennsylvania as kind of this wimpy, you know, kid? And it, maybe it's in the Young Guns franchise that... There's already enough buddies for Billy that he's close with. Uh, maybe they felt like they'd explored Billy's close friends enough with Doc and Chavez, Charlie, Dirty Steve, etc. 
And so they said, well, it's just boring to have another real good buddy of Billy. Maybe we just have to have a guy that, um, that looks up to him, uh, that uh, is fascinated with him, you know, and, and, uh, and Billy can be a, almost like a father figure to, or an older brother figure. That's the only thing I can think because it's, you know, it very, very far removed from, from reality. Um, so there you go. Uh, by the way, Balthazar Getty, if you, uh, if you've ever seen Young Guns 2, you see him, you know, he's a young guy, he's got the curly hair. Uh, he's pretty buff now. <laughs> I've seen his page on uh, Twitter. He's a DJ and an actor and he's like a buff dude. So uh, if they ever, <laughs> if they want to somehow bring him back for Guns 3 or whatever that movie's going to be called, um, uh, I think Emilio Estevez will have to uh, <laughs> take orders from him because because uh, Balthazar Giddy's uh, looks like a pretty tough dude. Uh, so there you go. Okay. And uh, the note here says uh, Folliard was not depicted in the original Young Guns film, which it would have been because that did take us through the burning of the McSween house. Um, but, uh, but he would have been present at least for that and probably for a couple others. So that's the uh, film history of Tom, Thomas O. Folliard. So let's get back to Tom's story, but let's do that right after this. All right, we're back with the COVID edition of All Things Billy, talking about Thomas O. Folliard. Um, so we've uh, we've talked about Tom's time uh, right up through the uh, five day battle, um, but what happened? What happened to Tom after that? Well, as as previously mentioned, he spent the rest of his life with Billy as a very close friend, probably the best friend that Billy had at that point. Um, but there's uh, something really, really interesting that I found out. Uh, so September 5, 1878. Let's put your mind there. September 5th, 1878. Tom, Billy the Kid, Fred Waite, Henry Brown, John Middleton, maybe Big Jim French, Sam Smith, George Bowers, kind of what's left of the regulators, raid Charles Fritz's ranch, and they ride off with 15 horses and 150 head of cattle. They drive those uh, that stock to Tascosa, Texas, where they sold them. And that was kind of Billy's MO for much of the rest of his life, steal in New Mexico, sell them in Texas, come back, probably stop off at... Uh, you know, Fort Sumner for a little week and then, uh, you know, get back to work. Now on the surface, that doesn't sound like anything. Oh, it, it's a lot of cattle. Billy was really not known as a big time cattle thief. You know, usually it was a very small number. And I do think, I do believe when he said, you know, I've been at Sumner making my living gambling because you know, there's no other way I can make a living. But I mean, he could stealing horses and cattle. But I think he was doing that to support himself and not to build some kind of empire because he certainly didn't have that. So September 5th, 1878. Why does that uh, date fascinate me so much? Well, when I read that, it sparked uh, a memory of the croquet photo of Billy the Kid that belongs to Randy Gaharo. And I went back and researched and read uh, as much information as I could on that. Now, it's hard to pick that apart because there's been so much vitriol on either side around that. It's a fake. It's a sham. You don't know, you know, you don't know what the hell you're doing. It's real. How can people not see it? Like it's, 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 it gets so ugly when you even talk about it. It's kind of not worth it. But Jeff Aiello, who was the uh, director, executive producer, I think he was the director of the documentary on Nat Geo states that they have narrowed the time frame down for this picture to the first week in September. Now, if you remember, the picture is purportedly Billy, Tom, Charlie, Manuela, Paulita Maxwell, Sally Chisholm. Uh, I, I mean, you know, anybody who's anybody of the regulators. And the regulators' movements are pretty well documented during that time. And so working in reverse, you come up and say, well, this is the only time it could be. This was Charlie and Manuela's wedding. And this is a photograph that was taken to commemorate it. 
But if that was taken during the first week of September, and this raid on the Fritz Ranch, Fritz Ranch happens on the 5th, well, that takes a, a few days out of the uh, out of the possibilities for that photograph being taken. I mean, it takes the 5th, 6th, and 7th out. That's the first week of September or, you know, whatever the, the you know, the, however the week fell. But, um, and that leaves really only four days. And, you know, not not knowing when the guys, did they go the evening, overnight? Maybe it takes the 4th out too. And so it really compresses the time frame when the croquet picture could have been taken if it is authentic. But it squeezes into that three days a lot of things that all have to come together in order to validate that photo. Now, I know some of you will say, well, that picture was never authenticated anyway uh, because it never sold. Well, I mean, in my conversations with Randy, it's never been for sale. Um, others of you will say it was authenticated by, I think it's Kagan's, um, and uh, insured for $5 million. So, of course, it's real. Uh, but whatever you say, it can't be the entire first week because you don't steal a bunch of horses and cattle and then ride them over to Tunstall's Ranch and just leave them there while you're celebrating a uh, <laughs> a wedding. You steal them and get the hell out of the territory and get them to Tascosa so you don't get arrested, shot, killed, hung, whatever. But the other thing that it did when I started thinking about that as you look at that uh, croquet picture and you see there's no leaves on the trees. And Jeff Aiello explains this by saying, well, there's this historic drought in New Mexico. We have records and there are uh, instances where trees will drop their leaves early um, during times of drought. I'm, I have no doubts, but I've lived in New Mexico for 26 years or, or let's see, it'll be 26 years in three weeks, roughly. I've been through uh, extraordinary drought. That's the official meteorological term. <laughs> extraordinary drought. Been we've had, you know, we've been in that for in that cycle in and out for a number of years. Not once, not once have I ever seen any of the trees anywhere in this area or any other area of New Mexico I've been drop their leaves in the first week in September. Or the first week in October, or the third week in October. Never ever seen that, not even once. You may have a different um, experience than I have, but I've been here for 26 years and I've never ever seen that. The first week in September is still squarely kind of in the middle of summertime. I've seen trees where the leaves were stunted. I have a tree in my front yard that that happened to during a period of extraordinary drought. Um, when, and I don't, I don't water any of these trees that we have, right? Well, they, they got to make it on their own. Otherwise, I'm not going to sit out there. Water costs money and we live in the desert and we don't have a lot of it. Water, that is. Might not have a lot of money either. And yeah, so the leaves were stunted. The tree, you know, kind of grew funny, but dropped their leaves. Mm -mm. I've never seen it. I'm sure somebody's online right now looking up pictures of trees that dropped their leaves on September 3rd or something like that. Hey, I'd love to see it, but in my experience, it doesn't happen. So that does call into question the time frame of that photo, at least in my mind. And the fact that a foliard takes part in this raid on the Fritz Ranch on the 5th of September means it just got a very few days and that very few days is still right in the middle of summer. It's not anywhere near fall. So who knows? Anyway, uh, so they uh, they drive that herd to Tascosa and they sell that as they had been wont to do. March 21, 1879, so the next spring, the kid and Doc Skurlock surrender to George Kimbrell, Sheriff George Kimbrell of Lincoln County. This is the arranged... Uh, imprisonment by the deal with, uh, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, with uh, Governor Wallace. And the kid and Doc are under house arrest in Juan Patron's house. Uh, a foliard stays, uh, not the entire time. They, they are there for 27 days, but Tom's there for 10 days. 
In mid-April 1879, Tom and Sam Smith are indicted for that crime of stealing Charles Fritz livestock. But both men uh, claimed the governor's amnesty and they had not been previously indicted. That's the key right there. Previously indicted during the Lincoln County War. Billy was, he was indicted for the murder of Brady. But if you were just indicted for something that happened right now and had no previous indictments, you could just say, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to shoot straight and not be a bad boy anymore. And I want to go free. And that and they claimed the governor's amnesty. And uh, there it was. Uh, of course, Billy, uh, feeling betrayed by Governor Wallace, just kind of walks out of the jail. Kimbrell does nothing to stop him. He's friendly toward the, uh, uh, you know, toward the regulators. And uh, that's that's kind of it for the deal with Wallace. I've never heard of Billy's gang being formally called the Rustlers. That doesn't mean they weren't. It's just I've never heard of that as it, you know, capitalized the, the name. The Rustlers were formed in the fall of 1879 with Billy as the leader. Tom's second in command, a couple of years older than Billy. And of course, they continue to steal stock and they make a living and they do the best they can. Um, but by early 1880, Tom begins to plan to go back to Texas so he can see his grandmother. And uh, apparently Billy was going to go with him. Now you just wonder, there, there was a deciding moment there somewhere. Billy and Tom are riding, you know, out, out on the plains or near Portales or something like that. And, and uh, Tom goes, uh, hey, Billy, I, I, you know, I haven't been back to Texas in a couple of years. I want to see my grandma and you know, see what's going on. I don't know, maybe find a job, start a little ranch or something. Why don't you come with me? And Billy goes, hmm, you know what? Maybe so. Maybe I can grab Paulita or Celso or Abrana or, uh, you know, whoever, DeLuvina or all. <laughs> I'll grab all of them. <laughs> I got to steal four horses because I need one for each girlfriend. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to, uh, maybe I'll grab them. We'll go to Texas. What the hell? We'll go visit. If I like it, I'll stay. You know, I haven't been that far into Texas. Uvalde, you said, is that, is that where it is? Yeah, I don't know. Sounds like a nice place. Maybe Garrett will put up there someday. But anyway, you only imagine that at some point there was some discussion of when they were going to go. And Again, the the winter of 1880 seemed pretty harsh in that there was some really heavy snowfall in December. And again, I've been in New Mexico a long time, um, but winter does, at least in my experience, come pretty good in December and January. And it used to be anyway, by February, you start getting some of those days in the 60s and 70s. And uh you know, by March, you were, you were kind of out of it. And then the wind started and that would only blow for, you know, like three decades or something. But, um, but the winter seemed pretty harsh and maybe the thought was, you know, let's not do this now. Let's wait till after this winter. And then we'll, uh, we'll get on out of here and we'll go to Texas. You can introduce me to your grandma and I can introduce her to Paulita or any of the other girls that I bring, or maybe I'll meet some pretty girl in Texas or, you know, who knows, but yeah, sounds good, pal. Let's do it. I don't know when, you know, if it's early December, Tom's got about three weeks to live or a little less than three weeks. But if, if one of them had just said, you know what? I mean, what are we doing here anyway? You know, we're dragging Charlie around. I know he wants to be with his wife. Rudabaugh's an asshole. You know, he's, uh, you know, Billy Wilson's a crybaby. What, what kind of gang is this? What kind of gang did we put together here? We got some grumpy older man. We got some guy that's crying all the time. We got another guy that just wants to go see his wife. Let's get out of here. We'll start a new gang. Like there had to be some point where they said, nah, not yet. But imagine if they did. Imagine if they left. Imagine how different history would most likely be 
If Billy and Tom just loaded up some provisions, Billy swung Paulita up behind him on his horse or whoever, and uh, and they just rode out for Texas. Might never know about Billy the Kid, right? There might be a uh, there might be a you know a Billy the Kid grocery store out there. John Middleton opened grocery stores in Kansas, so maybe the, there'd be the <laughs> Billy the Kid grocery store, Kid Mart. Oh my gosh. But for whatever reason, they didn't do that. They put it off. I'm assuming until the weather would clear from the winter time, which, you know, it it could be January, February, it could be March or April. I mean, there's, it's very, very unpredictable, especially out there on the plains. And so they don't leave. And of course, as you know, through the December of 1880, now Garrett's on the trail of the posse early that month, uh, Bowdry meets uh, Garrett outside of uh, uh, outside of Sumner and says, you know, I I really want to go, uh, or is that Roswell? I, I want to go straight. I've got these indictments. I need your help. You know, I, I, I this is not the life for me. Like I I I want to live. And Garrett promises to help him as long as Charlie cuts ties with the kid, which he doesn't do. He can't. Probably Billy's magnetic personality. I mean, honestly, why else would you? keep risking your life for Charlie had a job foreman of the Yerby ranch. I mean, he probably could have had a, just a nice lifestyle without having to worry about being shot and killed, but didn't happen. So December 19th, 1880 happens. And we'll talk more about that after this. So it's a winter, cold winter's evening, December 19, 1880. Pat Garrett and his men, posse, are in Fort Sumner. They're in the old uh, hospital building, the Indian hospital. And they get word that men are riding in toward Fort Sumner. It's a foggy night. And Garrett says, none but the men we want are riding at this time of night. Now, I don't know how Garrett talked. This is the stuff I would be interested in, right? Like, I'd like to go back in time, and I probably would forget to take all the pictures that you guys wanted and, you know, get, see what the, uh, you know, what the, the boot pattern, you know, the sole pattern of somebody's boot would be. I would forget that. I want to hear the way Garrett talked. Did he talk so um, profoundly? None but the men we want are riding at this time of night, my fair mates. Or did he go, sons of bitches? Can't be anybody but them. Like, that makes way more sense to me. But I don't know. I wasn't there. If you were there, please let me know. Because I know some of you think you were there. <laughs> anyway, so uh, they, uh, they, they file kind of out of the uh, hospital building. And they see these horse, horsemen approaching from the peach orchard through the fog. And Garrett says, he calls out, you know, halt, throw up your hands. You're under arrest. And this is interesting because Garrett, if it's a foggy night, Garrett doesn't know who they are. How is he going to say somebody's under arrest when it could be three sheep herders riding in to, uh, you know, get warm or get some provisions or get a drink or something like that? So it is a little suspect that he says, throw up your hands, you're under arrest, or why anybody had to throw up their hands until he positively identified them. Uh, so there's two uh, two schools of thought. One is that Garrett and his men just start just open fire on the group as soon as he says throw up your hands. The other one is he says throw up your hands and Folliard, oh Folliard, who's in the lead, goes for his gun, which prompts the men to let loose and uh, and fire, and they only hit O'Folliard. We're not going to know which one that is, although I I suspect that Garrett would like us to believe that he said, throw up your hands. And then they started it. It's like, <laughs> like two kids going to their parents. He started it. No, no, he did. But I think Garrett would want us to believe that. I think uh, with Garrett's shoot first, don't bother with questions later mentality, that he may have just said, throw up your hands because our bullets are on the way. You know, in other words, 
he just said that as a formality and the guys opened fire or, or maybe they didn't even do it under his order. Maybe they had twitchy trigger fingers and decided to let loose. But in any event, Folliard is hit. <clears throat> the rest of the guys rein their way around and ride back north out of the peach orchard. And uh, Folliard's horse turns to run. Tom tries to, you know, tries to get away, but the pain is too much. And he kind of slumps over in the saddle, at least the way it's described. And his horse uh, kind of trots its way back toward the Indian hospital where Tom says, you know, don't shoot. I'm killed. Now, I don't know how you know you're killed. I'm being honest here. I don't, I've never been shot. So I don't know how you know you're killed, but if you've been in gunfights and seen them, you probably know a shot somewhere, you know, in the gut somewhere is probably pretty bad. If you're shot in the heart, I think you're probably dead on arrival. Um, but, I, you know, the pain must be so intense that, that a Folliard says, you know, don't shoot, I'm killed. And uh, as he comes closer to the... Uh, Indian hospital, they slide him down off his horse and they carry him inside and lay him uh, on a blanket. It, it apparently takes him 45 minutes to die. And there's a number of different, um, you know, kind of testimony on it that uh, Folliard begged to be put out of his misery. You know, shoot me, please. You know, this is too painful. Um, and uh, I think it's Barney Mason that says, hey, take your medicine. And Folliard said, it's the best medicine I ever took, which seems like a very lucid comment for a guy dying. But it could be. Tis the best medicine I've ever taken, Mr. Mason. It just seems weird instead of going, fuck you, <laughs> jerk. Um, he tells Garrett he'll see him in hell. And Garrett says, you know. You shouldn't, you're a, you're a man about to die. I wouldn't be talking like that, et cetera. Those kind of things. So whatever happened, there's some, and Tom's groaning. He asks for some water. And I've actually uh, uh, heard of this a lot when people get shot. Uh, I guess if your body's losing blood, your, your biology is programmed to need fluid. So you, you get very thirsty. And so he asks for water. Somebody brings him a sip of water. He takes it and then he groans and he lays back, you know, just kind of lays back and dies. But 45 minutes, that's a long time to die. And I remember, um, I think it was uh, Robert O'Neill, uh, the guy who uh, wrote the book, The Operator, uh, that, uh, you know, claims he was the one that shot Osama bin Laden. I know there's a couple other guys that claim to be the guy. But O'Neill said, never shoot a large caliber man with a small caliber bullet. And uh, he was being interviewed, I think it was on the Howard Stern show. And, you know, when you're, when you're trained, uh, you know, for, for uh, defensive uh, firearm tactics, you always fire two shots center mass, you know, two shots at the biggest part of the body, the chest, the abdomen. But he talked about, no, you shoot at the head. He said, people don't die like they do in the movies. You know, you shoot somebody in the stomach, they can stay alive for a long time and they can still be a threat to you. And so uh, a Folliard was a big caliber man. He's probably shot with a uh, 4440 or a 45, but even that was not a big enough caliber to put him immediately out of his misery. And he lived for 45 more minutes in pretty desperate agony from all accounts. Uh, Garrett goes through the saddlebags on his horse and finds a letter that Mofaliard has written to his grandmother, but had not mailed. It says that he and Billy are coming to visit her in Texas. But of course, he never did. And we don't know if Billy did, <laughs> right? Did Brushy go to Uvalde, Texas and see Tom's grandmother or wherever she was? Did Miller do that? Did Luis Jaramillo do it? Um, don't know. Maybe there's still some discoveries out there. The next day, Tom is, and here's the other discovery I found. I, I read uh, in doing my research that he was probably buried in the old post cemetery in Fort Sumner. I had never, ever heard that before. Never heard anybody question whether Folliard was buried there. But in my research, I'd seen that at least one time where people said he probably was buried there, but not definitively. I don't know where that came from. I don't know if that was somebody's slip of the pen or the keyboard. 
but I've never seen anybody challenge the fact that a foliard was killed December 19, 1880 and buried the next day in the old post cemetery. And by the way, it, there was like a, you know, a big snowstorm and another snowstorm came because that's how it was so easy for Garrett to track Billy and Charlie and Rudabaugh to the uh, Stinking Springs Rock House. Now, New Mexico typically does not get freezing temperatures long enough to freeze the ground. It can be very cold, but normally not cold enough so that, you know, the ground is frozen. But it must have been a bastard to dig a grave if it's been that cold for that long. And there's no backhoe there. You don't, you know, call in Bob the Builder, beep, 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 and you know, and dig, dig the thing out. And I, I mean, you had to bury people. Right. And people die at all times of the year. You got to bury in the summer, winter, spring, fall. You, you got to bury them. So I wonder who had to dig that grave through that snow and that cold, cold ground. Uh, if you go by the headstone, the pals headstone, it shows Tom to the left, Charlie Bowdry in the middle and Billy to the right. At least that's the way the, the words are laid out. But there's no identification of the uh, individual graves other than purportedly Billy's grave is to the right. Uh, but it doesn't say where they buried Folliard. And again, if you look at uh, Charles Dudrow's report, he made 1906 of the cemetery while exhuming the soldiers, you'll see that the first grave, the grave farthest to the left, which would be farthest south, is set above, halfway above the other graves at least according to the drawing, which means that either that grave's got to be halfway out from under the cage or the other two have to be, or the drawing was just wrong, but it doesn't make any sense that Dudrow would be there and be so precise with everything else and then not, you know, and draw the, the graves in the wrong place. Um, he does list one grave as Billy the Outlaw, Billy the Kid, and the other two just as members of his gang. So neither uh, Tom or Charlie's grave is identified as to which belongs to who. But was Tom buried there? I sure think so. I mean, if you want another conspiracy theory to chase down, I guess you can, I don't know, try to find that. But where where did he go? Who would have even bothered to embalm and ship his body back to Texas? Do you think Garrett ever put the letter in the mail with a, a note of regret to Ophaliard's grandmother? Hey, uh, Grandma Celeste, sorry, I killed your grandson. But he was, you know, he tried to kill me. So that's the way it goes. And we buried him up here at the old post cemetery. And, you know, we gave him a good Christian burial. And hey, Sorry. Probably not. But wouldn't somebody have to notify her? I mean, wouldn't it weigh on Garrett's conscience that he's got this letter that this guy was going to go to Texas and uh, and see his grandma and then he never, like she's never even made aware of it? Or if you'd like another conspiracy theory, if she's from Uvalde, does Garrett go there 10 years later? and track her down. I mean, Tom's only, what, 22 at the time. His mother could have had him when she was 20, so his grandma could be 60. She certainly could have lived to be 70, 75, 80 years old. Does Gar Much like Garrett has the meeting with Joseph Antrim at the, the hotel up there in Denver, does he have a meeting with Tom's grandmother in Uvalde, Texas? And she says, oh, it's okay, Patty. No problem. Here, have some soup. And uh, why don't you come and live here for a bit and tell me all about Tom's final moments. Probably not. But if she was still alive in 1891, did her path ever cross with Pat Garrett's? Fascinating conjecture, but I don't think we're ever going to know. The Prince of Pennsylvania, Tom Folliard. Best friend, I guess after Fred Wade. Best friend of Billy the Kid, and uh, one of three men, maybe, 
again, depending on what you believe and what the evidence says, one of three men that are entombed forever, side by side by side, in the old post cemetery in old Fort Sumner, New Mexico. So when you go pay your respects and you go down there, if you've never been or if you've been a hundred times, um, if I were you, I think I would step around the back side of the cage the uh, as you're looking at the stone the far left hand corner and uh and uh, probably talk to tom from back there because that's probably where his grave is probably sticking out the back of that cage there assuming that charles dudrow had his uh, map done correctly all right so that is the life and times and death of thomas o folliard some of you are going to have many more arcane details and are going to write me about them and tell me everything that I didn't know. And uh, that's cool. Yeah, go for it. Um, but that's what I know. <laughs> or that's what I, that's what my research shows about old Tom. I wonder in the next great Billy the Kid movie, if uh, Tom will be portrayed kind of as he was. Like that's a that's a pretty good and a long you know for for two guys that probably only lived to be in their early twenties, if even you know that two two and a half years together that's a pretty long friendship. I mean, you could just do a film on that or a TV series on that Billy and Tom, and kind of go through all their adventures and show how these two guys really were bonded, you know, as young men who'd both lost their parents for different reasons at a young age and uh, made their way to Lincoln County and then made their way to being best friends. So if anybody's writing the Billy the Kid film, like my buddy Joseph Lechok, <laughs> you might want to consider a, uh, a subplot or maybe just a film on that. So uh, I think the, uh, uh, to shift gears here, I think the kid or Billy the Kid on Epics is done. I think all the episodes have been released. Um, I, I continue to see reviews of people that really enjoy it. And so uh, I'm going to, again, highly encourage you to get on the social media of Epics uh, and the show's social media and comment and write on their website and email them. If you really want that show to come back, you need to take action uh, because the reviews were not universally great. There's kind of an embarrassing interview out there where the creator says, oh, this is probably the most realistic Billy the Kid you know, show ever done, you know, after they screwed up so badly, even in episode number one. So, but give them another chance, give them another season, eight or 10 more episodes, and it could get better. So you need to make your voice heard. And the way to do that is uh, through the wonders of the internet. All right, that's it for... Tom and Charlie in our Billy's Pals series. Up next, who knows? <laughs> Had requests for Big Dick Brewer or just Dick Brewer. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't trying to intimate anything there. Um, more on, uh, we've talked to, to uh, Scott Skurlock about Doc Skurlock, but there's more on Doc we can certainly talk about. And there's a number of the other regulators, Chavez, E. Chavez, et cetera. So we'll, we'll get to them. We'll get to them all in good time. But until then, keep listening, keep learning, keep researching. And uh, we'll see you next time. We'll hear you next time on All Things Billy. Bye.